Welcome to Yerodal University with Jeff Snyder. My name's Emil Kalinowski, and today we're going to be talking about the SWIFT system. It's in the news because the United States and Europe and other countries are banning, excluding Russia from using it. What does that mean? We're going to ask Jeff Snyder, the head of global research of Alhambra Partners. Jeff, here's what the White House says it means. Quote, first, we commit to ensuring that selected Russian banks are removed from the SWIFT messaging system. This will ensure that these banks are disconnected from the international financial system and harm their ability to operate globally. You ask right after that, is any of this true? Yes, part of it is true. At least they said what SWIFT was in their, what they wrote in, in the statement there. SWIFT is a messaging system. So that part is true, but the rest of it is, not, I'm not sure the rest of it is true at all. In fact, you know, SWIFT is essentially where dollar transfers and the dollar system begins. It's not where it begins as well as where it ends. And so cutting banks out of SWIFT doesn't necessarily disconnect them from the financial system at all. And it's really an open question about whether or not it even impedes their business all that much in, in terms of how they trade in the, in the global marketplace. So, you know, the idea here is to project this powerful very forceful response to what Vladimir Putin has done in the Ukraine and to say, look, you know, we're the Treasury Department, we're the U.S. government. It's the U.S. dollar system. We're cutting Russia. We're cutting all of Russia off from the dollar system because we can. We can respond in such a grandiose manner that we'll just cut the entire Russian economy out from the dollar system. Fortune called it a nuclear option, kicking Russia off the SWIFT system. Biden and Western Europe's Russian sanctions backed off the nuclear option of kicking it off swift. Here, that was, when did we write this article, Jeff? That was on the, and I didn't write it, you wrote it at Alhambra Partners on the 28th of February. And the title was, Swift isn't the nuclear option for Russia because the world is euro dollar, not euro dollar. Okay. So I think if people have heard of swift, it's a, maybe they have dealt with swift. It's a way to, send money internationally. And if you don't have access to this, then you can't send money internationally. But Jeff, you know, that's not true. It's not sending money, right? There's this, all these components. There's messaging, clearing, settling. Tell us what is messaging, clearing, settling, and which part of that is involved, what, what is SWIFT involved with? Yeah, we're getting into what's really the big picture story here, which is that this is a euro dollar system not a dollar system. And what does that actually mean? Well, in a very big picture sense, it means that the US dollar, it's not like there's crates or pallets of physical Federal Reserve notes that move back and forth around the world, or even US reserves of gold as it had once upon a time been under the Bretton Woods system. We have a globally you know, distributed ledger system where uh, global banks maintain, you know, keep track of who owes what. And how do you keep track of who owes what? Well, you have to communicate back and forth between these global banks. So number one, you know, when the U.S., the idea that um, we're cutting Russia out of the U.S. dollar uh, system, it's not really up to the U.S. government because this is a global banking system, which is why, you know, in, in the first part of the, the White House press release, they say, you know, we work together in concert with all these other countries to try to get these Russians banned from SWIFT. Because SWIFT, I think the public by and large has maybe heard something about SWIFT, but they don't really know what it is. And they don't really know how it works and what, how it all fits together. 
And so you see, you know, on social media or in the actual media, financial media and, and mainstream media, the idea that SWIFT is dollar. So SWIFT must be the entirety of the dollar system. And so the federal authorities come in. Treasury Department says, boom, we're cutting Russia off of SWIFT, which means we're cutting them off the dollar. And of course, as you just said, Emil, the White House statement sort of reinforces or tries to reinforce this message. U.S. dollar, U.S. government, we're in control of everything. It's that easy. In, in reality, SWIFT is nothing more than where this euro dollar system starts. It's one form. It's not the entirety. It's just one form of communication that banks use to engage in all of these payments processing and transactions, financial transactions back and forth. Even though it's U.S. dollar denominated, it's interbank. It's global bank. It's euro dollar stuff. Yes, you know here that it, it's operated by banks from all over the world. So it's a network here. But I still want to go back to my, my question. This, you've said it a few times, messaging. So SWIFT is just messaging? Is it like picking up the phone or sending a text message or a fax to another bank? Is that all it is? Is it the actual movement of money? No, it's weird that you refer to the faxes because that's where SWIFT actually came from. In the old days, I mean, going back to the 1930s, banks used to send what was called telex messages, which was nothing more than sort of a fancy glossed up fax machine. And so really, that's all it is. SWIFT grew out of these telex messages, which were nothing more than unformatted text messages in their earliest forms. And SWIFT sort of standardized them and made them a little bit more convenient for banks to use. But that's all it is. SWIFT is a standardized electronic communication system that basically sends text messages through all these counterparties. You know, there's thousands of them throughout the world, basically saying you have a payment message from XYZ. And, and so expect the uh, funds, you know, so expect that you need to do something to then clear and settle the transaction. So all SWIFT is, is as you said, Emil, it's just a text message. It's a messaging system. And so if we're cutting and it's not all of Russian banks here, by the way, either. It's only a specific group of Russian banks that the government is saying, we're going to boot them off of SWIFT. And so all that really does is that says you can't use our text message system to conduct your global U.S. dollar business. So it's as if the government was after me again, and they said they contacted Facebook or Meta and said, we're going to prohibit Emil from using WhatsApp. And that's really going to screw him. But I could just use another text messaging service or just pick up the phone and call somebody. Is that right? And that doesn't even get to Venmo and all the other ways of actually moving bank deposits. Exactly. That's really the point. It's the other thing too, right? Because the government can't just kick you off Facebook. They have to call up Facebook and say, would you please kick Emil off of Facebook or whatever app you're using on Facebook? because it's a privately owned system. And then you do, you have all sorts of alternatives. So in the instance where these Russian banks, a small group of Russian banks are indeed kicked off SWIFT, what happens is the SWIFT system looks up the codes or you know finds the codes for those banks and then just says no more messages will be accepted for those banks on the SWIFT system. That doesn't mean that these banks can't transact in US dollar terms because even though there is a SWIFT system for messaging, there's already it's overlaid atop a correspondent bank system, which means that once the messages are sent, the banks have to do something independent of the message, which means I have to credit some account or I have to debit some other account. I have to move funds around in you know, various accounts after I get the message from SWIFT. And so that just, you know, if you're not sending messages from SWIFT, just pick up the phone. 
and say, okay, I'm the Russian bank. I used to send you a message electronically. It was very easy and seamless, but now I'm just going to give you the same information that I could have given you through the Swift message. And I'm going to do it by, by voice instead of, you know, or I'm going to send you just a text over, you know, whatever text messaging service or some other form of communication. At the end of the day, the transaction will still be accomplished anyway. It just won't be as easy. It won't be as pain-free. It might require some extra hours by some Russian bankers and their staff, you know, sending text messages and using telephones, you know, like it's the 1960s again. But, you know, it happens. It doesn't disrupt the correspond, the underlying correspondence system, which is really the nuts and bolts of the Eurodollar system. And so you deprive Russian banks or a certain group of Russian banks from a specific type of messaging those correspondent relationships still remain. And so you just need to find a, a different format of messaging. Here, let me read a quote from you. Around 90 to 95% depends who, on who you ask of all global dollar transactions get messaged into cleared and then settled upon the chips architecture. That means hundreds of thousands of daily messages, more than half a million in 2021 on average and about 70 to 75% depends on who you ask of those messages originate from SWIFT. So 25 to 30% originate from somewhere else, which we haven't heard anything about from the authorities, which could then go back onto chips, which is 90 to 95%. So there's still the five to 10% where we could clear and settle using other alternatives, correct? Yeah, the stuff that we've just been talking about, picking up the phone and, and calling to your correspondent network, I mean, that's the small value individual account transactions that, you know, sending a, an individual bank customer saying, send a wire XYZ or, you know, some company somewhere saying, I need to pay this, this bill overseas. Most of the high volume, high dollar stuff gets run through a some form of settlement process like chips or Fedwire or something else. And it, if we're talking about the international US dollar payment network, as well as its connection to all various financial marketplaces too, that's going to be CHIPS. And CHIPS has its own messaging architecture that easily, that works very seamlessly with SWIFT, but it's independent of SWIFT. So if you're a Russian bank in its pre-sanction era, you know, you could send a SWIFT message and have it go through CHIPS and therefore it gets settled through CHIPS seamlessly because SWIFT messages get mapped right onto CHIPS messages. And so it's all one kind of a whole but you don't have to originate a payment message from SWIFT. You can originate a payment message in CHIPS itself. So if you're kicked off of SWIFT, you can still use CHIPS. And CHIPS is basically the preeminent place where high volume, high dollar transactions are settled anyway. So not all Russian banks are being cut off from SWIFT. Some are. Okay, now they're even... Amongst those some, there's two in particular that the United States has their eyes on, and that is Spare Bank and VTB Bank. And what has happened with them, Jeff? It says here, I'm reading a quote from you, within 30 days, OFAC is requiring all U.S. financial institutions to close any Spare Bank correspondent or payable through accounts and to reject any future transactions involving Sparebank or its foreign financial institution subsidiaries. Payments that Sparebank attempts to process in U.S. dollars for its clients, with examples ranging from technology to transportation, will be disrupted and rejected once the payment hits a U.S. financial institution. So maybe this is what they should have done for all Russian banks, the United States and Europe, if they wanted to deliver a quote-unquote nuclear option. Tell us what's happening here. 
But even then they can't, right? Because that's the qualification. You understand what they're saying? You're right. Tell me. It, with these two banks, Treasury is saying, we're going to take it a step further. We're not just going to deprive Sparebank and VTB from swift messaging. We're actually going to go after their ability to use their correspondent network. But even then, it's not as if it's because of the way the Treasury Department directive sounds, it's like we're cutting them off of all their correspondent and payable through accounts. So they can't do they can't pick up the phone and say, I need to transact X, Y and Z because the U.S. bank is going to say, sorry, Treasury has said I can't do any business with you. But notice the qualification here. Treasury Department has no authority whatsoever over any bank outside the United States. Any bank outside the United States, the global euro dollar system is essentially all of these banks outside the United States. So while the Russian VTB banker can't use SWIFT, can't get on the phone and call up, say, JP Morgan and say, I need to transfer dollars, JP Morgan's going to say, sorry, I can't do that. VTB Bank can call any of the hundreds of other global banks that it works with and says, well, I can't transact with JP Morgan. Can I transact with you? Oh, of course I can. I can still transact with you. So we'll just do it with you. So what the U.S. government is doing is portraying these sanctions as the end all and be all of cutting Russia off of the dollar system, when at most what they're doing is hindering to some small degree the narrow group of Russian banks from conducting U.S. dollar business as they used to. They're not cutting them off at all whatsoever. And then, of course, these Russian banks can still use chips, even though chips is a financial institution in the U.S. Right. And it originally started out as the New York Clearinghouse Association. Therefore, you would think intense regulatory pressure will come upon the New York Clearinghouse Association, which is now the Clearinghouse. But you tell us, Jeff, well, it's not just New York banks. It's owned by 24 yeah, banks right. that, are, that own it. And then there are 43 member participants. And spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen, only 19 are U.S. firms of those 43 that are CHIPS members. Yeah, so the CHIPS, the way CHIPS works is that you said there's what, 24 yes. owners. Some of those are not U.S. banks either. So right. um, some of those are foreign or U.S. subsidiaries of foreign banks. So they're, they're legally U.S. banks, but regardless. So there's 24 owners, but there's really, there's 43 banks who are actually on the hook conducting all of these intraday transactions that that settle at the end of the day through Fedwire and FRBNY. But those 43 banks are not the only banks conducting business on chips. Those 43 banks have also sponsored hundreds and hundreds of other banks around the world with which they have correspondent relationships. So you're a small bank in Russia or you're a small bank in South Africa or somewhere around the world. You want to settle in chips using, you know, because it's the primary marketplace for U.S. high volume, high dollar U.S. transactions, U.S. dollar transactions. You get one of those 43 banks to sponsor you on chips. You open a correspondent relationship with them. You can use their messaging system. You, you settle at the end of the day with your sponsoring bank, not the chip system itself, because that sponsoring bank has settled in chips on your behalf. So back to our Russian example, you know. These Russian banks can have a correspondent relationship with a non-U.S. based bank because, as you said, Emil, only 19 of the 43 participants are American, which leaves, I'm really bad at math, 24. what, 24 banks outside the United States. And of those 24 sponsor member banks that can sponsor other banks, I believe one is UBS in Switzerland, which Switzerland has remained neutral forever. 
And uh, apart from their accession to FACTA a long time ago, Swiss banks have remained independent through a whole lot of, of global events. So maybe Russian banks can use UBS. There's a bank in the UAE, which has close ties to Russian trade. There's a bank in India, historically close ties and trade. And at the end of the day, four of the largest banks from China are also one of the 43 members of CHIPS too. And we all know China and Russia have close ties there as well. So these banks that are being sanctioned by the U.S. government, where the U.S. government says U.S. banks can't do correspondent and payable accounts through with these two, two Russian banks, does not prevent them from doing U.S. dollar business in any sort of way, because this is a euro dollar system of banks, a bank network that spans the entire world, which means if you can't get into the system one way, it's not that hard to find another way into the system through a different direction. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, these are bankers we're talking about who's living, whose entire reason for existence is to make money. They will find a way. That's the whole Eurodollar University show is about, is that they will find a way through and over regulations. And just to give a better, maybe an additional perspective on the network effect here, Jeff, let me read how there are these other paths that the water can follow and find a way through here. And even if authorities in the U.S. and elsewhere do get wise to this workaround, those same Russian banks need to only remove themselves one further step by entering into a correspondent agreement with any of the other dozens, hundreds of offshore, hundreds offshore, whose treasury's authority can be sponsored on their behalf. I don't know, maybe there's a comma missing there. I'm sorry, Jeff. I didn't read that right, but then here's the key one. (laughs) They could even initiate some other kind of local correspondent relationship with one of 65 other Russian banks currently on chips. Yeah, right. I mean, I don't want to make it sound that easy, but it's really not that difficult. I mean, it's really just a bunch of paperwork and dotting some I's and crossing T's. If there's billions of dollars on the line, Jeff. Yeah, so there's 67 banks who are already have active UIDs on chips, which means regardless of SWIFT, they can conduct U.S. dollar business. And of those two banks that we said, uh, you know, VTB and Spare Bank, they could just say, okay, we won't use chips. We'll just do a further correspondent relationship with one of those other 65 Russian banks who can use chips. You know, that's why, you know, we've talked about this before, Emil, that the euro dollar system in many ways doesn't resemble a currency system. It resembles a computer network. Because it is a computer network. Think about what we're talking about here. We're talking about ledger money, just keeping track of information, marrying that with communications technology and innovation. That's really what the euro dollar was. As communications technology got better, it was easier to settle transactions in an instantaneous setting using electronic messaging and communication. So it's really a computerized network with nodes all over the world. And so if there's some kind of exogenous constriction in one part of the network, it just reroutes traffic into another part. And it's not like it's the U.S. dollar system that the U.S. US government owns and controls. It's in many ways an organic living organism that it's spread all over the world that, you know, as you've pointed out, bankers are very much self-interested and no matter how people feel about Russia or Russia versus Ukraine, you know, there are bankers who are, you know, they're in countries that are allied with Russia. They'll continue to do U.S. dollar business because the world is not on a U.S. dollar standard. It's on a euro dollar standard, which means these banks are the money 
and the messaging architecture is only part of the, the U.S. dollar story, the euro dollar story. Bottom line, contrary to every popular perception, it's not up to the U.S. government nor any government. You know who agrees with you? The Washington Post. Without SWIFT, quote, Russian institutions will be forced to fall back on telex network and other less convenient and more costly alternatives. Like cost is uh, like their top priority at this moment, right? They're willing to bear the costs. Yeah, at this moment, it's survival, right? Exactly. It's, we're going to continue to conduct business because this is what we're going to do. And if, if we can't send an easy electronic message through SWIFT, like we said, they'll just pick up the phone and call whoever they need to to get it done. I think the way the Washington Post actually confessed to what's really going on here really puts it into perspective. This is basically a minor inconvenience. And Jeff, tell me if this is correct, but I've heard that there will be exclusions to this whole quote unquote blanket ban for SWIFT. According to an episode I saw with Francis Coppola and who was it? Um, Joseph Wang. They were on a podcast, a show with on Blockworks hosted by Captain Jack Farley. They were talking about exclusions, including energy, agriculture, COVID and humanitarian reasons for transmitting swift messages. Basically, then every message will become a COVID message, yeah. right? <laughs> Joseph or Francis, I forgot who, mentioned that derivatives are excluded somehow and that the UK and the EU are mirroring these exclusions that the United States is pursuing. So really, there's a lot of holes in this Swiss cheese that people with very <laughs> with vested interest in making sure to get money in and out of the country We'll find a way to make it work. And so therefore, big picture, as you said, Jeff, big, big puffing of the chest, big peacocking, but it's a euro dollar network. That's what our focus is here on this show. It's a euro dollar network that lies outside of the control of authorities. Has anyone said that sometime around 1984? Was that ever brought to anybody's attention? Anyone in the treasury? I think it was, right? Robert Russo. The famous quote that I always use, which is new networks of interbank relations outside the control of the Fed. And that's emphasize that term, new networks of interbank relations. That's what we're really talking about. And those interbank relations are not strictly sending messages back and forth. It's messages, clearing, settlement, creation of money, maintaining the ledger, all of those things, which the euro dollar system arose because it could do these things outside of various control mechanisms outside of regulations all over the world. That's the whole point of being offshore to begin with. Jeff, because we've raised our left eyebrow at this and said, well, maybe this is not going to be effective. We'll be accused on Twitter and on YouTube of being agents of the KGB. Now, I won't ask you directly if you have ever been on the payroll of the KGB, but I'll tell the audience that I haven't been paid by the KGB in years. So give me a break. <laughs> Uh, you, speaking of Twitter, ladies and gentlemen, you can reach me at Emil Kalinowski and Jeff at Jeff Snyder underscore AIP. Jeff, in the next few days, you'll be conducting a poll. You'll be showing four graphs to the audience that we haven't gone over in our, any of our shows. And you'll be asking the audience, hey, which of these four graphs would you like me to explain? Isn't that right? Yeah, we're going to try to go beyond our normal content to get into some of the, I mean, there's so much stuff that they're available to talk about and go through on any week and any week at any given time that a lot of stuff gets, gets kind of left on the cutting room floor that we still want to 
you know, that we think is important that maybe deserves a little bit of attention, maybe not the same attention we can give it during an episode. So what we decided is we'll let the audience pick. You and I, Emil, will we'll come up with four options of charts that we think that deserve a little bit more attention. I'll put them up on Twitter. People can vote on which one they want, either you, me, or maybe it'll be a special guest to go into further detail on our Instagram page, which we do. We have an Instagram page. It's called Eurodollar University. And we'll put up an explanation over there for whichever chart people want a little bit more of a discussion with. I don't want you to get people's hopes up, Jeff. You said maybe a special guest. Maybe the guest won't be so special. You know, maybe it'll just be a regular guest. I'm thinking of Alfonso recently. Can you believe that guy telling us about the cappuccino? No cap after 11 a.m.? Shh. All right. Thank you, Jeff. I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Take care, Emil.